Welcome to Vernacular Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Each week on Vernacular, we explore the art of being truly and fully human. Most of the time, that means that Sally and I chat for 15 to 20 minutes about a topic, general or specific, and how it helps us understand what it means to be human. But we don't have all the answers, so occasionally we invite guests on the show to help us tackle this question in the context of their job or hobby, current events, or pop culture. Thanks for joining us as we practice the art of being human. Welcome back. We are here again for another episode on the art of being human. We sure are. And before we get into today's juicy, juicy topic. Oh, yeah. I want to first welcome any new listeners we have. I know that um, Anchor gave us a shout out for being one of the top podcasts of the week last week. So if you're new to our podcast and you're listening because of that, welcome to our vernacular community. We have a lot of fun talking about a ton of different things. And we happen to be in the middle of a series on what it means to be human. And interspersed with some fun guests like Tish Oxenreiter a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And in a few weeks, another riveting conversation with our own shorts, the shorts, right. about the crown. So look forward to that. Anchor described us as a philosophy podcast, which is accurate in the sense that philosophy can mean a lot of different things and means the study we of just wisdom. don't want that to turn anyone away from our right. show this is not an academic philosophy podcast we're not academic philosophers not at all our current series topic tends to be pretty philosophical, philosophical. at times but in the past we've talked about steph curry and the golden state warriors and we're just trying to break down those high floating topics we've talked for about the every person we've like talked ourselves about latte art <laughs> on this podcast like this is not about this is not a highfalutin esoteric podcast but we have fun. That's the goal anyway. Speaking of highfalutin and esoteric, uh, I need to correct myself on something I said last week. And I, I did acknowledge in the moment that I was probably wrong when I talked about the ship of Thebes. And I had no idea. <laughs> it's so. the ship of Theseus. And this is – so I, we were talking about uh, being an embodied soul or an ensouled body and how someone is still just as much a person even if they lose a limb or as I did last week, an appendix. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I talked about the ship of Thebes, as I said, it's actually the ship of Theseus, um, and how there is this idea, and classical philosophers have talked about this, rooted in a story from Plutarch's um, uh, book by the same name, Theseus, in which he describes this guy, Theseus, who's coming back from the island of Crete, and he's on a ship that has been slowly, piece by piece, and plank by plank, and oar by oar, reassembled from its original iteration, and so now there's this discussion of whether or not it's the same ship that it was, or if it's an entirely new ship because each piece has been remade. And in the context of our humanity, this makes sense or, or is relevant because all of our all of our cells die and regenerate, and so are we still the same people. Because all of the skin cells that we have today are none of the same skin cells that we were born with. They're ones that have been regenerated relatively recently. And so does that mean that we're new, that we're a new person, that we're not the same person we were when we were born? And... You know, that's how the ship of Theseus applies, not Thebes. So sorry for that error. But I also think this really applies to our topic today. So Sally, what are we talking about today? Yeah, so last time we talked about the fact that we are embodied souls and ensouled bodies. We are unions of bodies and souls. And as embodied beings, we live in time and we experience change and aging over time. So because we live life and time, we have different stages to the span of a human life cycle. And the thing that we want to talk about today is how do we think about the human life cycle? Right. Um, So there are two different possible views that we're going to discuss today. One is that we see our life as having an overall shape or overarching rhythm to the span of a human life that we all share and experience as human persons. 
And the other idea we're going to call the timeline view, so the shape view and the timeline view, is that human life is simply a timeline. And and we'll talk about kind of break down what that means. Right. So and we're granting the fact that we that every life is different in its pace and there's thousands of different variables that change over the course of anyone's right. life cycle. But if the shape view is correct, then we all share something. We share this this common shape. If the timeline view is correct, then we all just kind of are plodding along from one one unit of time to the next. Yeah, I, I sort of um I, I think this gets pretty metaphysical pretty quickly and it's it's complicated for me to wrap my head around, but I think if I can use an analogy, and maybe this analogy won't be very helpful, but to me, it's a question of whether or not we see life as a metronome or a piece of music. And in the first example, if, if you're not a musician, maybe you don't know what a metronome is, but a metronome is a device that helps you keep time. So it just has this constant clicking that keeps rhythm, right? So like tick, 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 that's a metronome. A piece of music obviously has tempo and has flow, but it also has variations of pitch and it has an overall shape. And good music has beauty. There's an aesthetic quality to it. So in the context of human life, what is a human life? Does it have this innate aesthetic to it? Does it have a distinctive shape? Or is it composed of a discrete set of interchangeable, intervals? homogenous units of exactly. time? Exactly. Exactly. Now, now, of course, you know, it stands to reason that human lives do begin and they do end. But I think... According to the metronome view, there's a a way in which the human life wouldn't need to end or perhaps shouldn't have to end, um, much in the same way a metronome wouldn't end. Now, metronomes do end when their batteries die out, but maybe there's a way to not have that. Maybe we can find a completely renewable energy source and we could have, in theory, a metronome that would keep ticking forever. And similarly, with a timeline, if you if life, if life your analogy is a timeline, right. then you just keep charting time. History right. is it started and it's still going, and the timeline right. of history continues if you were to continue charting it. Right. So hopefully that hopefully those analogies help. They help me kind of think about this topic. How do we conceive of a human life? Yeah, and I like your musical composition idea because if we think of life as a whole, then a musical composition is a great analogy because then the shape has meaning all on its own that's worth recognizing and right. and I think protecting. And the meaning comes from the individual stages of a life cycle, but it also comes from the relationship between generations before and after us. Right. And we're not going to talk about the generational relationship now. We're going to do that next week when we talk about immortality. Why not immortality? <laughs> and death. <laughs> um, but this week we're going to be focusing on the stages of the life cycle and the shape that they may or may not take as a whole. Sure. Depending on which view you take. Okay. So maybe let's talk about some of these stages. So I think the first one's pretty obvious, right? Birth. Birth and the newborn stage. As parents, we know all about the newborn stage <laughs> and all of the joys and trials that come with it. So that's one. Yep. And the sort of childhood. childhood is sort of continuous with that, but I would argue the second one. Yeah. Okay. So childhood is the second stage. And then I guess I'm wondering is, I guess it depends kind of on what century you're from, but I've read some articles that say adolescence is kind of a new stage of life that it's totally exist. a stage i i cannot yeah so now yeah. i think it's a stage okay but maybe you know 100 years ago it was just you went from childhood to being an adult to being married at 13 <laughs> right yeah okay so now adolescence, adolescence is, a stage. is certainly a stage and and then, i am in it just kidding <laughs> and then i think we could call the next stage maturity or the prime of your life oh yeah no i'm in that one actually yeah i'm definitely in the prime. <laughs> um yeah uh yeah that's probably fair yeah, I don't. I didn't. I don't know what else to call it. Okay. 
and then and then it gets old age. I would almost and... think I would almost think maturity and then the prime of your life. Like the okay. you know, maybe you and I are at maturity and the fact that we're like functioning mature adults, but But ideally this is not the prime of our life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe it's just wishful thinking. I'm not there yet. I'm or maybe I, it's just a longer still have the best years ahead of me. Maybe it's just a longer span. Yeah, that's very possible. But I was just thinking prime would be I would I would think maybe prime would be where people are looking to you for wisdom almost. And I don't really think many people are oh, looking to me okay. for wisdom. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it depends. Obviously, this is subjective. It's not like there are right, right and wrong answers to the stages. Yeah. But in I think just thinking about this for the first time, I would I would say that prime follows maturity. Okay. So that's another stage. Okay. And then we have old age, which is probably re- overlapping with prime. Yeah. And eventually death. Yes. So do you think you could say that each stage has its own virtues and weaknesses would you like to get rid of any of those stages do you have a favorite stage i think that well that's a lot of questions there i think um (laughs) they certainly have their own virtues and weaknesses right i think take birth and the newborn stage there's an innocence of innocence that's what i think of too yeah but then go to the other end of the other end of the human lifespan and in old age there's a treasure trove of wisdom that can be accessed by younger generations and but they both kind of have a similar weakness. Not that it's like a both, bad like thing. Vulnerability. Vulnerability, dependence. Yeah. And that's I don't I'm not saying weakness in that it's bad, but that is the it's not a strength of right. of those stages. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that we get to the end of our life and we find ourselves dependent like again. Babies again, yeah. And vulnerable again. Um and you asked if I could eliminate one if I could. You know, this is an interesting question. I I think like here thinking rationally about it in a deliberate way i would say certainly not all of these stages are valuable and I, I do think that's the case but i also even subconsciously find myself also often thinking i wish that i weren't in this stage now because I, mm. i'm such a forward-looking person i need to actively moderate this i need to um i need to think very much i need to be disciplined and thinking in the moment and thinking about the moment rather than just focusing on the future so i often find myself thinking I wish I weren't in this stage because I know this won't last forever and I'm already right. planning for the next thing. So just let's get there. Yeah. Um, as far as my favorite stage, and this is sort of like an interesting corollary to the the problem I just outlined. But I, I <laughs> the often- The one you're in? <laughs> yeah, no, like the one I was in. Oh, like the, oh okay. The last one, you know? Oh, I, okay. It's, uh, I guess so I, I often see my life through rose-colored lenses <laughs> when I look back and I always think- you know, even though when I'm in that stage, I think I got to get to the next thing. When I get to the next thing, I look back and think I didn't spend enough time appreciating appreciating sure. what I had. So, um, yeah, I guess it makes sense that I, that those are my two answers, I think. But, uh, yeah. What about you? Yeah, I do agree about the different virtues and weaknesses of each stage. I think adolescence and and depending on how we're defining maturity, there's a certain, I don't know, arrogance to those stages where we think we know everything but we don't (laughs) and but there's still this this courage and exploration and adventure to life life is you know so full of possibilities and I think that's a a strength um I personally I I definitely wish that I could eliminate in retrospect my stage of adolescence (laughs) I just feel like it was a fraught time and I was just all over the place and do you mean you were like everybody else <laughs> in the world but maybe other people enjoy it more i don't know I, don't, I mean i feel like adolescence is kind of miserable yeah i just think i i'm loving the stage i'm in now and 
And I think childhood was definitely a very wonderful, blissful time. But in between, oh my goodness, I just wish that I could have fast forwarded through all that stuff. I almost don't even know what the point was, except that I think that it's helped me become the person I am today. And I don't think that it, I could, I could just actually pull it out and still be the same person, but I wish that I didn't have to experience it. I mean that makes. That makes but I guess a lot that's how sense. we feel about any sort of struggle, right? But that's a pretty pretty big exception when you caveat that you know I I would get rid of it, but it's made me who I am today. Right, so. right. And I think as embarrassed as I feel when I look back at my former self, that make that keeps me humble. Sure. <laughs> so that's good too. It's good. I mean, I have an old journal that uh, I wrote in years ago when I was an adolescent, and I was leafing through it the other day and it just makes me want to burn everything well in i've because... thrown away any sort of diaries or journals that it's i've probably, kept, it's so probably, i don't probably what yeah, i should I do. just get rid of it <laughs> um okay are we still the same person as we move from stage to stage Let's so, so so i talked about the ship of theseus yes. in the beginning here this this is where it applies yeah are, are you the same person you mentioned that you would get rid of adolescence but for the fact that it made you who you are today are you right. the same person that you were as an adolescent or are you a totally different person yeah, so I I do think I'm the same person, but sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes I can look back and think, who was that person? What was I doing? What was I thinking? That was crazy. But when you're experiencing it, you feel like the same person. So my ex- on a spir- experiential level, yes, I feel like the same person. But looking back, and if I look back too far, I guess, then – or even not too far, but maybe even just five, ten years ago. Right. I wonder, wow – what was that person thinking? Mm-hmm. I wish I could go back and give her some advice. Right. But I think neuro, modern neuroscience would agree with this, that even if the even if you are not the same physical person that you were then, even if all of your cells have regenerated uh, or almost all of your cells have regenerated, the neurons or the synaptic pathways that your brain formed through those experiences are still there. And that's part of what makes you who you are. And then... The other thing is, of course, we already talked about this last episode, we're embodied souls. So it's not just about the bodies that we have, it's also about the souls that we have. And the soul, if we really do believe that we are a union of soul and body, the soul is a fundamental part of our identity as well. And so I think we have to fall on that side of the line that we are the same person, even though we feel incredibly different um, and see almost no similarities between our current selves and our former selves. And this supports the shape view of a human life cycle. I think so. Because... We would we would think then if we if it, life has a meaningful shape or a rhythm that that transforms all of the stages into some sort of textured whole some sort of symphony, then it makes more sense to say that yes we're the same person throughout the entire life cycle. Whereas right. if our life is a timeline of these discrete homogenous bits, then sure yeah I'm a different person from one stage to the next. So clearly we're landing pretty heavily on the shape view as our conversation goes on, but I think there are objections to it. Okay. So I'll bring up one that I thought of. Let's do it. So how can we say that a human life cycle has a meaningful shape if it can be interrupted by disease or accident or someone, you know, harming another person? It could be cut short, essentially. Right. So either either the fact that you can have an untimely end to your life, either that would cut against the shape view entirely and undermine it. Or I would think that within the shape view, the only way to make sense of a life cut short is to say that that person's lifespan is less meaningful Okay. because it's been cut short. It's lost one of those important stages that we just talked about. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that is a good, potentially 
good objection, or maybe I should say a powerful objection. I don't think it's a good one because I don't think it's right. But this objection in my mind is trying to say that the exception disproves the rule. That is, if the rule is there is a shape to human life and the shape is beautiful, like a piece of music, like we talked about, there's an aesthetic quality to it. And it it's has, worth preserving. It has stages that are worth preserving. That's the argument. The exception is that some lives are cut short. Some lives are cut short by cancer. Some are cut short by war. Uh, some lives don't begin the way that others do because of a genetic mutation that causes a child to be born without functioning legs. That's the exception. Disproves the rule. Done. Uh, but but I would almost say that exception in some ways strengthens the rule because when we see that ex that exception taking place, we realize just how badly something went wrong. Right? When a, when a child is born with a genetic mutation that hampers the use of a limb, we look at that child and we think this is sad because this is not There's the way loss. it's supposed to be. There is a loss here. Someone who loses a limb halfway through life will be very conscious of how that is not how their body is supposed to be. Um, it doesn't mean that there can't be beauty even through that pain and through that loss, but um, there will be there is loss, and I think that's undeniable. Same thing, obviously, with, you know, especially a young person whose life is cut short by cancer or by any other affliction. There is loss there, and it's very self-evident. So in some ways, um, maybe in all ways, I think that... Makes it more meaningful. It makes it more meaningful. It, it strengthens the argument. We realize that argument. something's lost. We realize that the shape has been interrupted, and we see how little control we have over the shape of our life. Our, of our life right because if it was a timeline then it would seem like we would have control over those little bits right. of our of our existence i've used nautical analogies already with the ship of theseus <laughs> thing but i mean you know let's say you're a you're a shipbuilder you build 100 ships 99 of them float perfectly do exactly what they're supposed to do and one of them during the first seafaring trial sinks immediately because it fills up with water and there's a giant hole in the hole you look at that and you think Oh, that's not how it's supposed to be. You're not going to say, "Oh, the plan was wrong." Right. Yeah. Right. You're you're gonna yeah you're gonna realize that something went wrong along the way. Well, and I think an argument that we used last time to talk about the how our embodiment is not changed, the nature of our embodiment is not changed by the loss of a limb or an organ or an appendix. Uh -huh. Then uh, that's the same in this case that the the meaningfulness of the overall shape of our life and the individual stages they're not less meaningful because some stage has been lost right or because the shape has been interrupted absolutely so i think just the same argument applies yeah i have another potential objection all right go for it so um and i'm gonna try to be quick here the objection i think of is someone could easily say that there is a distinct shape to the human life that is a beginning and an end, specifically an end, because science has not yet conquered that greatest of all diseases, mortality. And so the only reason we see this distinctive shape, this finite end to a human life, is because we haven't figured out how to change it. And once we do, we won't have that distinctive shape anymore, and it'll be essentially whatever we want to make of it, and it'll look much more like the unceasing metronome than it will be like Beethoven's Ninth. Yeah, so just because science can do something, does that mean that science should do it? And I think what we've what we've really unpacked here is that the it's important to see and to know that there is a shape to our human life. It makes our lives more meaningful to be going through life and to know that it has a shape and that everything fits in in some way and plays into the next stage. And so just because science could change that doesn't make that fact any less meaningful or any less important to preserve. Science could evolve and 
make us be able to change so many things about our lives. But does that mean that that the thing that we're trying to change is is bad just because it could be changed? So I think in this case, just because science can do that doesn't mean that it should. And in this case, it shouldn't because the shape of a human life is important. And we're going to talk about that a lot more in two weeks in our next episode on immortality and whether we should or should not pursue immortality. Until then, you can check us out on Twitter, at VernacularPod, on Instagram, at VernacularPod, on our website, VernacularPodcast.com. I almost forgot what it was. Nailed it. <laughs> and you can email us at Zach and Sally at VernacularPodcast.com. And you can share our episode. And you can rate and review it rate on review iTunes. Us on Apple Podcasts. On Apple Podcasts. Not iTunes anymore. It used to be. Wow. Back, back when we were young. It's, it's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that. For Vernacular Podcast, I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great week. I'm by your side